I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, and welcome back to the Citadel in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 110, which begins with a shot of Furiosa with her eyes closed as we fade to black, and it ends with Max slowly and deliberately climbing out of the Giga Horse. As we open this minute on the tail end of the scene with Furiosa, something has been bothering me a little bit gnawing at you yeah gnawing at me that has just never come up in conversation as of yet and this is the last opportunity so i want to make sure we hit it max needs to stop moving her around okay she is bleeding internally in a couple of different places she's got bits of her that are open to the air now she's got needles in her arm he needs to stop moving her around He's only making things worse. He's so focused on cradling her head. Yeah. And he keeps moving her body around. And what difference does cradling her head make? She's not going to hear you better because you lift her head up closer to you. You get down in her face. Come on. She's <laughs> the one dying here. <laughs> and then a couple minutes ago, I think maybe last Friday's minute, where she kind of like tries to sit up a little bit, he shouldn't have let her. He should have made her lay down and then he move in closer to her to hear what she had to say. No one heard what she had to say anyway, so what does that say about how important it was to the overall plot? Well, since you brought that up, I know this is referring back to a few minutes ago, but something else that I didn't have a chance to say. It reminded me of the end of Lost in Translation with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson, Mm -hmm. where he walks up to her, whispers something in her ear and walks away. And we never, ever know what it is. So similar to this, we never, ever know what it is. We don't need to know what it is. What it actually is, isn't important. What it is to us in both instances is an intimate moment of trust and friendship. Both of those pairings between Lost in Translation and Fury Road are non-romantic male-female pairings. There's no sexual tension. There's no romanticism about it whatsoever. They're just friends. But there's still this like super intimacy brought on by circumstances. Here's an idea for you. Okay. Mad Max Fury Road, but... Furiosa is played by Scarlett Johansson, and Max is played by Bill Murray. Would it work? (laughs) Remind me of dramatic roles that Bill Murray has done. Well, now you're just asking me to... I know. It would be easy to say yes if it were a comedy, but Mad Max isn't a comedy. Can Bill Murray do drama? Well, the problem with Bill Murray is that even when he's in stuff that could be seen as serious. Yeah, you're having a hard time. He is a quintessential comedic actor. Yeah. Not that he's incapable of doing drama. It's just that comedy is his wheelhouse. Yeah, even when he's in like Wes Anderson movies, those are still funny. 
They are in a very deadpan way. I don't think you can look at a Wes Anderson movie and say, oh, yeah, that's completely serious. He was in the 2000 production of Hamlet that starred Ethan Hawke, where he played Polonius. That's a fairly serious role, but he probably played it pretty tongue in cheek. I don't know if Murray would have put his comedic spin on it. I'm not sure. The thing about Bill Murray is that he can do really good every men that are put upon by extraordinary situations. I'm thinking about Groundhog Day. He's just a guy who is a real sourpuss, and then he's dropped into this fantastic situation, and he's got to deal with it. Like, he played Frank in Scrooge, where he is that Ebenezer Scrooge archetype, just a real sourpuss guy put into an extraordinary situation, and he's got to work through it. I think he could channel that sort of energy into a post-apocalyptic film where he's just a highway cop. He lost his wife and kid, and now he's stuck in this extraordinary situation where there are cars and explosions and war boys. And we already know Scarlett Johansson can do action. Oh, yeah. No problems there. I don't know if Scarlett Johansson has the same screen presence as Charlize Theron, though. No, she does not. And one of the greatest things about Furiosa is her presence provided by Charlize Theron. And I wouldn't say it's just because she's tall, but it definitely helps. Agreed. It's not just because she's tall, but part of it is because she's tall. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson is nowhere near as tall (laughs) as Charlize Theron. (laughs) I can imagine Scarlett Johansson playing it angrier. Charlize Theron plays Furiosa with an underlying sadness. Mm Mm-hmm. And Scarlett Johansson would play it with more of an overt, you have wronged me, and now I'm going to do this thing. It would be a very different movie. Certainly would. Now, you did mention you had to bring up Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. As soon as you did, I started imagining this movie as a Wes Anderson movie. (laughs) And that's just silly. I am thinking, I haven't seen Island of Dogs, but Island of Dogs strikes me as the most apocalyptic of the Wes Anderson movies that I've seen. I would like to see more directors do post-apocalyptic films. I want post-apocalyptic to become a genre that everybody is obsessed with again, that everybody is trying out. I would really like to see a Quentin Tarantino post-apocalyptic movie because he would bust out the blood squibs everywhere. It would be so over-the-top violent. What was the Quentin Tarantino movie coming out this summer that we saw the ad for in the theater? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It looked interesting. And of course, by the time this comes out, it will already have debuted and everyone will have already seen it. Exactly, because we are recording this in June and Once Upon (laughs) a Time in Hollywood comes out in July. And perhaps we will have seen it. Yeah. Honestly, the fact that they have Brad Pitt as the stunt double for leo dicaprio that's right that's why i found it so interesting because we're neck deep in these action movies where stunt doubles are constantly on my mind and then we have this movie about stunt doubles caught your attention yes it did what movie did we go see in the theater that we saw that preview before men in black international that's what it was okay that's probably not a glowing review of Men in Black International. Hey, I thought it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I just happened to forget it. (laughs) Like I said, not a glowing review. 
<laughs> Sorry, Men in Black International. I thought you were great. Anyway, we should get into the minute proper. Yes, we should. We mentioned it being a good idea that this movie is starring who it does. I think it's also a good idea that this movie was made when it was, because we start off this minute with the further shot of Furiosa just lying there with her eyes closed, and we hear Max say, that's my name. And if this movie had been made at the tail end of the 90s, like it was originally planned to be shot in, like 1999, there's a chance that he could have followed up That's My Name with Don't Wear It Out. I can hear Bill Murray saying that. (laughs) That's why it's good that Bill Murray didn't play Max. (laughs) But we look at Furiosa and everything fades to black. Are we supposed to think that Furiosa dies here? I don't know. I really genuinely feel like she should have. Not necessarily for the plot. For the plot, either way, would have been fine. But physically, (laughs) she should be dead. So I'm not sure what George Miller wanted us to think in this moment. Do you recall? I know it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. Do you recall in the theater when you saw this? Did you think she died? I don't remember what I thought, but I can be sure that I was still running off the adrenaline high of the previous action scene. I probably hadn't come down just yet, so my mind was probably racing. Oh my gosh, we just faded to black. What the heck? We had one of those two, three minutes ago, and it lasted eight seconds. How long is this going to last? You know, that sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, remind me, when was the Red Wedding? What year? I feel like in 2015, for media portrayals, it was a simpler time. I feel like nowadays, in 2019, we no longer feel safe that the leading role people are going to stay alive. The Red Wedding happened in 2013. Okay, so we were still in this world that we live in now. We were still in that world in 2015. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like nowadays our leads are no longer safe. And I think that's in large part to Game of Thrones started this trend of you could lose your favorite character. In fact, don't get too attached because you probably will lose your favorite character. Especially if he's played by Sean Bean. (laughs) Well, of course. And then follow that up with the Marvel Universe that has absolutely no problem killing off their favorite characters. So we live in a world now where everybody is fair game. And it feels new, but according to the numbers, that's what it was like in 2015. So I imagine a lot of people, when they saw that fade to black, were like, oh, okay, she's dead now. If this had come out in the 90s and that had faded to black, I don't think anybody would have thought, oh, Furios is dead. They would have thought, okay, we're going to take a break so that she can get better. This black screen lasts two and a half seconds and then we fade in from black to find one of the wretched emerging from this little dugout hole under a shade of some kind and they're crawling out because they hear the giga horse approaching and as it drives by there are several wretched running after the vehicle and we go from there to a really wide shot showing that as the giga horse is driving up towards the rest of the citadel throngs of people are closing in around it, probably because people think that a Morton Joe is in that car. Oh, for sure. 
my first thought was, oh, something interesting is happening. I'm going to pay attention because honestly, nothing else is happening. They probably spend most of their days under their shade shelters waiting for something interesting to happen mm -hmm. and foraging for food and water. They know a few things. They know, for instance, that Immortan Joe provides water. They know that Immortan Joe drives the Giga Horse. Therefore, and ergo vis-a-vis, -vis, the Giga Horse means Immortan Joe means water. So, of course, they're going to crowd in around it. And Joe left with an entire war party. If he was successful and he's coming back with a vehicle full of his wives, he's going to be in a good mood. Mm -hmm. Perhaps a giving mood. A generous mood. Yes. <laughs> in celebration of defeating Furiosa, the traitor, he will open up the water. And it's not just the wretched that are clamoring to get a view of the Giga Horse. We get a wide shot of the war pups coming to the edges of the platforms. We can see the great treadmills turning as the war pups drum out a rhythm for the marchers to follow. And I really like these war pups because the two over on the left are drumming out a pretty steady beat and the one furthest to the right has just one stick and he maybe hits the drum, I think, twice in this shot. But he's drumming much less than the other two. Yeah, I'm wondering if this child has a hard time keeping a beat. All I can think of is that these war pups that start off on the treadmill drums eventually get to graduate, if they don't succumb to childhood cancer, to drumming on the back of the doof wagon. Oh, yeah, I'll bet so. I don't think this particular one is going to make it. <laughs> he might hit himself instead of the drum. Maybe. He may have other talents that earn him that spot, but I don't know. Yeah, eating crayons is not a marketable talent. I am curious as to why he's there. If he's not an effective drum beater, is he the most effective? He might be the most eager. Perhaps. He does seem eager, right? He's like kind of bouncing all over the place, but not in time to the beat. Maybe there wasn't anybody better to or, put in that third spot. I still think that there may have been someone that was better, but they were probably slower. When one of the war boys came with a tray of mallets for the drums, this little Ralph Wiggum kid was so quick. He just <laughs> zipped his way up to the front and said, oh, I want the big one. You don't think they had to, like, audition for those positions or anything? I'm pretty sure auditioning in the Citadel means beating people. Like, physically beating people. <laughs> you remember how it was when Slit tried to take Nux's steering wheel. He got a headbutt. And then the situation was solved. Yes. They're not called peace pups. <laughs> oh, peace <I'm> pups. <laughs> Let's leave the drummers behind because we've got two lift guards. They're standing on the edge of the platform as it comes down and the Giga Horse rolls up. And I love how we get a very specific low angle for the elevator and high angle looking down at the Giga Horse so we can set up this little two shot situation. Two things that I want to point out about, especially the overhead shot. One, you can see that there is a mirror on the elevator for communication, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And two, I also appreciate how the Wretched make a very clean, nice, wide path for the Giga Horse. They're well-practiced. And I'm not even 100% sure that there is a 
delineation of where they are supposed to stand, that they make that lineup themselves. And it just happens to be nice and straight and wide. When, if you've ever been in a crowd, you know it doesn't happen that way. I think it goes back to what we said back when the war rig originally left. They probably have formed these straight lines because someone once got out of line and then they became a hood ornament. (laughs) So they're very well practiced on exactly where to stand, even if pushing and shoving happens. One of the guards on the elevator notices that something is amiss. Not everything is exactly feeling right. And so he raises his fist and he calls for breaks and his buddy next to him turns around and he's got a whistle that he blows. So that way the guy at the top of the elevator can hear him. This elevator, it's such a restriction to entry that is very clever. It could definitely be used against them. One entry point also means one exit point. So it's dangerous there, but it's used so cleverly here where the elevator guard doesn't feel good about what's happening. All he has to do is not take the elevator all the way to the ground. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even have to be that far off the ground. If he's a couple feet up, then a vehicle can't pull up on the elevator and can't get into the Citadel. It's genius and so simple and so easy to say, no, you cannot enter until we have a conversation. I also appreciate how easy it is to look at the mechanism that controls the elevator and see that off to the left, there is a big panel. There's an up arrow and there's a down arrow and there's a lever that goes to a very corresponding section of that panel. And there's a huge lever stuck into the ground and that's the on and the off shifter. It's Great, because fewer moving parts means more simplicity, means it's easier to maintain. Obviously, with any elevator this size, controlled and powered the way it is, it's going to be natively complex. But the fact that it's so easily controlled is actually kind of refreshing. (laughs) It feels good. Seeing this elevator and how it works always makes me think about the six simple machines. Mm -hmm. They are the lever, the wheel and axle pulley, inclined plane, wedge, and screw. And with those six machines, you can pretty much do anything. They are the basis for everything that is mechanical. So I love that with this, we can actually see those machines put to a creative use. And we actually get to see how they are making an elevator work. Mm. So with the elevator stopped at a sufficiently high elevation, The lift guard that called for the brakes, he levels his makeshift gun down at the Giga Horse and he commands them to reveal themselves. And that just feels so extravagant the way he says, reveal yourself. Well, (laughs) he is a representative of the Citadel. It reminds me of one of the Elder Scrolls games where they're like, stop, you have committed crimes against the Jarl. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of... Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. (laughs) The Frenchman up on the wall. Now that would be a very different scene. Yes, it would. You put that Frenchman on this platform. (laughs) And Bill Murray in the driver's seat. And once again, another good reason this was made in 2012, (laughs) released in 2015. (laughs) 
What I like about this Liftguard's shotgun is that it specifically reminds me of the Mad Max video game. When you start that game, Max has a run-in with Scabrous Scrotus. It does not go well for him. He loses the interceptor. His gun is taken away. He's essentially left with nothing, except he finds a homemade shotgun on one of the war boys, and he takes it so that he can be at least a little bit armed. And over the course of the game, you can slowly upgrade that shotgun from being single barrel, single shot, very simple, you gotta stop and reload. You can eventually get up to four barrels attached to that gun. And Ooh, e fancy. And each barrel is single shot, so you can fire four times before you have to reload. And then you get Max's classic shotgun back, and that one only shoots twice, but it reloads so fast it makes up for it. But anyway, I digress. I was looking at the Mad Max groups that I'm a part of on Facebook, and former guest of the show, Shem Herman, found a promotional picture that showed this specific four-barrel shotgun stuffed into Max's interceptor door. That at one point, Max had a weapon like this in the interceptor. When the actual movie came out, it wasn't there. It was covered up by a tool bag, and the gun wasn't there at all, but Apparently, it existed there at one point, and it made its way into the scene here. Well, I like the idea that they captured the Interceptor, it went back to the Citadel, and people claimed different bits and pieces yeah. and things inside, and this elevator guard happened to end up with this four-barrel shotgun. Because what's more intimidating than a shotgun with four barrels. Right? Obviously, the answer is a shotgun with five barrels, but come on, let's not get ridiculous. <laughs> it's the post-apocalypse. It's not a carnival. <laughs> What's even more concerning than the idea of a post-apocalyptic carnival, though, is the amount of smoke that seems to be sizzling out from underneath this blanket on the front of the gigahorse. Now, we mentioned last week... As we were looking through the window, you could see Immortan Joe's body out there. We know it's Immortan Joe's body. You can see his boots poking out from underneath the blanket. But the way that he's smoking and sizzling, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah, That he's going to get baked on or something. I agree. Well, I think no matter what happens, this vehicle is going to be destroyed. It's going to be pulled apart and repurposed into other things. So I don't think that you need to be worried about human flesh cooking onto the engine and whatnot. Now, that's an interesting idea. You think that when they get inside that they would tear apart the Giga Horse and repurpose it into a different vehicle? Yes. Two reasons. One, it's not in great shape anymore. Two, it's his symbolic vehicle. They killed Joe. They need to also kill his symbols. Mm. They need to destroy the cult of the V8. So they need to dismantle this vehicle. They need to destroy the altar of the steering wheels. They need to destroy his emblem wherever they find it. It needs to be removed. They need to make a clean start. Mm. Okay. I see where you're coming from. I'm very much on board with that idea now. And on Friday, I'm going to bring this idea up again. Okay. Just past the sizzling corpse, you can see Max sitting behind the wheel of the Giga Horse. Jillian stepped aside so that he could drive it into the Citadel here. And 
considering that he's got a gun pointed at his face, Max very calmly and without any sort of tomfoolery, he opens the door and slowly climbs out onto the Giga Horse, and he's very careful to keep his hands visible. Like, he's using the door to climb up, but he's moving slowly and deliberately. It's that Steve Irwin method of respect for nature. Help me out. I feel like this is a parallel to something we've seen Max do before. This very careful, I'm not going to make any sudden movements. You have a weapon on me. We can all make it through this. It's the situation with Nathan back in Road Warrior. That's right. He showed up to the compound and he came in peace. (laughs) He had a body that he needed to produce for them to see. In that instance, it was someone that he hoped would still be alive so that he could get a deal out of it. But he had to move very slowly and deliberately, showing them that his hands was not on his weapons or anything like that. In fact, he was holding on to them so that he could drop them to the side. But yeah, he's had to do this a few times. Okay. I knew that I had seen it before. I just couldn't remember where. Good old Road Warrior. Yep. Now, we don't get to see Max get very far. We're going to save that for Friday. So be sure to come back for that when Max reveals that Immortan Joe is dead. The Wretched will swarm the body and Furiosa will emerge to stand with Max. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 110 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.